Okay, I'm in a series of messages that's going to end today called Transformers, Empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask and answer three questions. The first is, what is Pentecost? Really, what is it? The second is, more or less, who cares? Why does Pentecost matter to you? Why should it matter to you? And more importantly, what would happen if you experienced a personal Pentecost? And the third question is, how can I do that? How can I experience my own personal Pentecost? Or, another way to say it is, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? So, what is Pentecost? Did you know that um, the book of Acts is really a sequel to the Gospel of Luke? You know how there are movie sequels? You know, Rocky 11? Well, Dr. Luke wrote his Gospel to chronicle the acts of Jesus Christ while he was here on this earth. And then the sequel to that is the book of Acts, which is really a misnomer because the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles, but it's actually not the Acts of the Apostles. It is the continuing acts of Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit, through the Apostles. And Acts begins with Jesus walking on this earth for 40 days after the resurrection and then ascending into heaven. But during that time period, Jesus said when he was with his disciples, hundreds and hundreds of disciples saw him during this 40-day period of time. Jesus said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem for the gift that the Father has for you, the gift of the Holy Spirit which I just referred to from John chapter 14, which is when Jesus was talking before he went to the cross, saying, guys, I have something for you that can only happen if I go away. So, Jesus ascended into heaven, and for ten days, the Jerusalem, uh, for ten days, the disciples were waiting in Jerusalem for the gift to be given. And the gift was given on the day of Pentecost. Okay, what's Pentecost about? Pentecost was actually an agricultural festival or celebration of the Jewish people. It was the day in which farmers would bring the first of the wheat crop and they would give it as a thank offering to the Lord, asking Him to bless the rest of the wheat crop. But it was actually more than an agricultural festival. It was tied to something much deeper. Now, did you know that Passover, getting a little Jewish history here, Passover is linked to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Pentecost is linked to the Holy Spirit coming, but it's linked to Moses giving the law to the Israelites after having been on Mount Sinai. 
so Passover is about the Israelites being freed from Egypt. Mount Sinai or Pentecost is about Moses getting the law from God from Mount Sinai. But here's the imagery on the day of Pentecost for the disciples. Just as Moses went up Mount Sinai to receive the law of God, which were essentially instructions on how to live like God's people, and he came back down, Jesus went up to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit down to instruct the disciples how to live post-resurrection. You get that? And the purpose of Pentecost is so that God's instructions for living, just like the Old Testament Mosaic Law, the list of rules, the list of do's and don'ts, the Ten Commandments, the gift of the Holy Spirit is about Jesus writing His laws on our hearts. And putting them inside of us so that our dreams, our desires, our motives are all changed. And we are empowered to live the way Jesus calls us to live, but it's impossible to live without the gift of His Holy Spirit. That is what Pentecost is all about. The giving of the Holy Spirit so that we're able to live the life that Jesus wants us to live. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to live it. Second question. Why does it matter? What would happen, what would your life look like if you experienced your own Pentecost? The short answer is this. The life that you really want. I'm not talking about the surface life. Oh, I want a nicer car, I want a nicer home, or I want a nice job, or I want health, and the list goes on and on and on, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But when you skim the surface, that seems pretty superficial. But I'm talking about the life you really want. The life of fulfillment. The life of purpose. The life of meaning the life of significance, the life of soul satisfaction. That's the life everybody's really looking for. Happy is surface, joy is deep. And everybody's looking for that life of joy. And the short answer to why Pentecost matters to you is that actually only the Holy Spirit can give you that life. That's it. I read lots of books. I read books on how to get better at this and how to do that. But you know, there's no self-help book here that can help you here. It's only the gift of the Holy Spirit that does deep life transformation and gives you something that no psychologist, nothing wrong with psychologists, no sociologist, nothing wrong with sociologists, nobody can give you. Your spouse can't give you this. Your kids can't give you this. Your employer can't give you this. Only God can give you that deep sense of soul satisfaction. And that only comes through experiencing the Holy Spirit. There are three things that the Holy Spirit wants to give you if you would open yourself up to experiencing your own Pentecost. The first is, you'd always feel connected. Notice it was a group thing on the day of Pentecost. 
All the disciples were together. And then suddenly a mighty rushing wind came. The Spirit-filled life is personal, but it's not private. We do better together. Whatever kind of cliche you want to use, it's an appropriate cliche. But the reality is, is that there is power in community when God's people come together. And we've experienced some of that power today. Um, when Ann was praying, I heard amens and praise the Lord. And there's something about God's people coming together in the flow of the Holy Spirit that we walk away feeling energized and we feel better. We are living in a lonely time, though completely connected through media. There are more suicides today than ever. How can that be? It's because there's a feeling of disconnection. We're your people. You're our posse. We're your posse. We hang out together. But you know what the description of most people's lives are today? Matthew 9.36 When Jesus saw the crowds, He had compassion on them, for they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Most of you are in survival mode. Busy, out-of-control schedule, experiencing what psychologists call hurry sickness. A status of malaise, a numbness, just going from thing to thing. And that's even God's people. We need a fresh Pentecost to reset us to recognize that we are not like the world, though we are in the world. We go to a different drumbeat. We listen to a different voice. While the world goes out of control and runs from this activity to that activity, we pause and think, wait a minute here. What does the Holy Spirit say inside of me? How does the Holy Spirit want to reorient my life? How does the Holy Spirit want me to spend money? How does the Holy Spirit want me to spend time with my family? How does the Holy Spirit think about my job and the boundaries? Hey, if you're out of control today in your time management issues, you need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's really good at saying yes and no because He has your best interests at heart. If you were to experience your own Pentecost, not only would you always be connected vertically and horizontally with the body of Christ, you would experience great power. Notice that there was a sound like a mighty wind. What does this mean? In the Bible, wind usually is symbolic of power. Think hurricane. Wind is invisible, but you can see its effects. God gave the disciples and the church, the Holy Spirit, to experience power, particularly in four areas. The first is a, 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 a power to witness and to tell other people about Jesus. <clears throat> now let me just say right up front that we need power in our lives for many things, but primarily in the Bible, the gift of the Holy Spirit 
the power that the Holy Spirit gives you is not just you trying to lose weight. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to empower you to be an effective witness for Him. It's when you're sitting there across the table from a co-worker and there's an open spot and there's this little voice inside of you that says, should I, should I talk about Jesus? Oh, I don't want to be offensive. And, da, 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 da. and you just begin to talk yourself out of talking about Jesus. The gift of the Holy Spirit is to empower you to just go for it. And to say, well, I don't have all the answers, but I've got to tell you what Jesus has done in my life. Look at what took place. These disciples that 40 days earlier had been scared to death, something happened and they became transformed. You had the Apostle Peter that denied 41 days earlier ever knowing Jesus. And now he's standing up giving his first sermon. All the disciples abandoned Jesus. Now you see them after Pentecost going around all over the place talking to people about Jesus. I mean, something happened. They became a powerful witness for Jesus Christ. Can it be, just think about this for a moment, can it be that you don't feel much power in your life because you're not telling other people about Jesus? You start telling other people about Jesus and suddenly you'll start feeling power. Second, the Holy Spirit empowers you to overcome sin. 1 John 3, 9, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are the children of God. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came on the disciples in such a way that it rose them to a new level of power for living above willful sin. You've heard me talk about this many times, but I've got to tell you, I, I'm reading articles, and I read one this week about how the Barna Research Group has done another study that shows that fundamentally there is no difference between how Christians live and how the world lives. Christians watch just as many R-rated movies, sexually explicit movies, as non-Christians. Christians have a problem with their tongue, just like non-Christians do. And there's this going back and forth of, basically, Christians are proclaiming that they are saved by Jesus Christ through grace, and I get all that, but in lifestyle, there's absolutely no difference. How can that be, brothers and sisters? God wants you to live a better life. And he wants you to live a life above sin. And man, you see the disciples knocking it out of the park when it came to holy living. I'm not talking about do's and don'ts. I'm talking about having God's laws written on your heart so that when you go to do something, the witness of the Holy Spirit says, that's not for you. You're not that person anymore. And you listen and obey. The Holy Spirit gives us power to endure and overcome the bitter experiences of life with hope. Somewhere along the way, maybe it's preachers, I don't know, but somewhere along the way, we've gotten the message that when you invite Jesus into your life and you allow to be, yourself to be spirit-led, that everything's going to go well with your life. 
and they lived happily ever after. That is not true. Christians experience cancer just like non-Christians. Christians experience death and tragedy just like non-Christians. God causes His reign to fall on the just and the unjust. In other words, part of living this life is living the regular human experience. And we live in a broken world. But it doesn't have to break us. Listen to Paul's words. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Stop. This is the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God, who raises the dead. You're going to experience a lot of tragedy in this life, and you're going to experience a lot of disappointment. And there are some people that walk away from the faith because they had this unrealistic expectation that God owed them to get them just the right job. Or God owed them having a loving spouse. Or God owed them certain health. You've experienced a lot of tragedy. I've experienced a lot of tragedy in my life. It's the common denominator of all humanity. But you know what makes Christians different? the ability to persevere and overcome in a Christ-like spirit. And that, my friends, brings us back to the first point of power to witness and tell others about Jesus. Have you ever considered that God allows bad things to happen to you so that you can be a witness to the people around you who have bad things happen to them? And people say, man, I don't know how you survive. I don't know how you're going through this. Man, you, you have a smile on your face. And that's your opening. Well, let me tell you about it. I'd be a mess if it weren't for Jesus. You experience just as much confusion as the world experiences confusion. But guess what? You've got an inside track. It doesn't mean that you always get clarity on everything, but it means that you have the power of the Holy Spirit to help you to go through the difficult seasons of life that are inevitable. Four, the Holy Spirit gives you power to live a life of love. So Bernard of Clairvaux was a monk from the 12th century. When he was living, he was known as the doctor of the church. He was extremely famous. And on his own spiritual journey, he taught the church in the 12th century, the four degrees of love. And I'm going to give them to you right now. First, the love of self for self's sake. This is a love that focuses on self-preservation. It's about me. Many of you are trying to find a life of love because you want to be loved and you're making it about you. That's the first degree. Love for self's sake. The second degree 
the love of God for self's sake. So the first is the love of self for self's sake. The second is the love of God for self's sake. This is where we love God, but we do it for our own sake. In other words, what God can do for me. Notice that you're still at the center. But now that you have God in your life, you're saying, oh, oh, oh if, if I just love God, that he'll make this happen to me. And I'm so happy when I get this. And I'm so happy when that falls into place. And I love it when my life just seems to come together. But it's really still about you. You're loving God for what you can get out of him. How does that work in your marriage? When you love your spouse for what they can give you back. The third degree, the love of God for God's sake. This is when you love God not for what He can do for you any longer, but simply because He is God. And we begin to see God for who He is rather than just someone who meets our needs. This is the journey of Christian maturity. We start off thinking it's all about us. Somewhere along the way, we realize that it's not really about us, it's really about God. And we begin to love God for who He is, not just for what He can do for us. But Bernard of Clairvaux said that there's a fourth degree of love, and that is the love of self for God's sake. This is where we experience love, and we realize that we are called to live within the fullness of of God's love. When we love ourselves for God's sake, we accept who we are and live out of who He made us to be. And our greatest act of love is to see all of life as an act of worship. Now here's what I think. I think most Christians today are on the second degree of love. We love God for self. And God has a journey He wants you to take in this journey called Christian maturity, and He brings certain experiences into your life to move you from self to Him. And the fourth degree of God's love is recognizing that the greatest act that we can, we can do for God is to see our lives as one big act of worship, and we come back full circle to say, I know who I am in Christ, and I accept the limitations that I've been given in life, and I understand increasingly who I am, and I'm okay with that. And we rest in the unconditional love of God. Most of us are seeking a life of love, but we're going about it the wrong way. We're still at the center. And God, through His Spirit, wants to empower us to see and live in the bigger picture of His love. There's a third thing that happened on Pentecost, and that is this issue of tongues of fire. The Holy Spirit is symbolized by fire in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Fire warms us, just like the Holy Spirit does. John Wesley was a great reformer in um, the 1700s in England. 
There was one time where he was sitting outside of a church listening to a sermon. He wasn't even in the church. He was just outside listening to it. And he wrote in his journal, I found my heart strangely warmed. That's the warmth that the Holy Spirit gives. Hey, you ever been sitting in a service? And it goes way beyond emotion, but you've been sitting in a service and you just knew that God was here with you and He was speaking to you and He was warming your heart and something deep and warm on the inside was taking place. And you weren't really able to explain it, but you just knew that you were in God's presence. Fire not just warms, but it illuminates. And the Holy Spirit illuminates our lives as well. But the primary metaphor in the Bible for the Holy Spirit with regard to fire is purity and cleansing. How does that work? Fire is a cleansing agent. I was on vacation many years ago on the eastern shore of Maryland, and it's relatively flat there, and we were headed down the Chesapeake Bay area, and we were driving through some farm country, acre after acre after acre of just farm country divided up with some trees, and it was a very, very beautiful place, but I, ha- I saw something I'd never seen before. There were fire trucks along the sides of the road, uh, a road purposely burning the field. And I thought, what's up with that? I thought firemen were supposed to put out fires, not start them. My father-in-law said to me, oh no, that's necessary. Every so many years they burn the field because they cleanse the fields from the underbrush, from snakes, all those things that keep the field from being fertile. And you know, all that burnt, it just goes down into the soil and it fertilizes the soil. I read an article this week about how birds in certain parts of the country are being threatened because nobody's burning anymore. And birds are going extinct. God wants to burn you up. God wants to light a fire in your life and burn away all of the stuff that is impure that is keeping you from being productive, fresh, and clean. On the cross, we receive salvation, which is forgiveness of sins, of things we have done. At Pentecost, God wants to do something deeper. He wants to give you a deeper heart cleansing. The common experience of many Christians is they know that their sins are forgiven, but they still see a lot of sin in their heart. Attitudes that are unholy. Gossip. A critical spirit. Bitterness. Anger. Now they know they have Jesus in their life. But they also see deep sin. You know what Pentecost is about? It's about fire. And it's about a deeper cleansing of the heart. And it's about God cleansing your motives. You ever do the right thing for the wrong reason? To look good? Rather than to just do the right thing because you knew it was the right thing? 
God wants to cleanse your motives. He wants to cleanse your desires. He wants to cleanse your dreams. He wants to cleanse every part of you that is not like Jesus. And that is the power of Pentecost. God wants you to experience vital connection, power, and deep cleansing. So how does it happen? What is Pentecost? What would Pentecost look in your life? How can I receive my own personal Pentecost? A couple things. Ask. This is where your sermon notes kick in. I've been watching you the whole time I've been preaching. You're looking around like, is this in the notes? He's been preaching for 25 minutes and there's nothing in the notes so far. This is the notes. Got it? I didn't want you to be distracted about anything. This is the heart of the message. How can you experience your own Pentecost? Ask. Luke eleven thirteen. So if you sinful people, Jesus said, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You have not because you ask not. If you want the Holy Spirit, you just ask for the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes we treat God like our, our grumpy aunt. Okay? Everybody has a grumpy aunt that just reminds you of how much she had to sacrifice to get you that gift. Well, that costs $5.98. And you're like, really? Just keep the gift because, you know, it, it feels like it's weird. That's not our Father. Our Father wants to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit more than you want to ask for it. Two, offer yourself completely to God. This gets back to the, one of the first messages I preached earlier in the series from Romans 12. I'm reading this out of the message version. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. You know what needs to happen, right? It's, the, it's an Old Testament metaphor about putting yourself on the altar. We have altars in our church. So here's what you need to do. Okay, God, hit me. Can I get up? Yes, I can. You know, the hardest thing to do is to just give yourself completely to God because it's terrifying. Because it's the loss of control. It's the willful giving of control over to somebody else. So there's this interesting story about how World War II ended. There was an American warship that was in Tokyo Harbor, and an emissary from the Japanese government came and um, walked onto the ship, and there was a table that was all set up to sign the documents that would end World War II. And the emissary walks over to uh, General Douglas MacArthur and, through a translator, offers a greeting in his hand to MacArthur. And MacArthur stood there and didn't do anything. And there was this awkward pause. And then MacArthur said to the Japanese emissary, through translator, your sword first. So the Japanese emissary had to take his, you know, symbolic sword 
and lay it down. And then MacArthur shook his hand. And then they sat down at the table. And World War II was finalized. That, that's what it means. Surrender means laying down your sword. I'm not fighting anymore. I've known Christians who have fought God for years of really surrendering everything. And they come right up to the edge and then they pull back because they're terrified. May I remind you that you're surrendering to a friend, not an enemy. You're surrendering to your Creator who knows you better than anybody else and who loves you more than anyone else. You're surrendering to God who has a great purpose and meaning in your life and wants to hold your hand through the rest of life saying, we can do this together. And through my leadership, you're going to go through all kinds of things, lots of good things, and lots of things that you wish you'd never gone through. But I promise I'll never leave you. I'll always be with you. If you want the infilling of the Holy Spirit, you must come to a place of surrender. All that you are. All that you have. Three, wait. Acts 1, 4, and 5 said, Wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We hate to wait, don't we? If I have to wait like 10 seconds to get a, do, a Google search, I'm like, really? This computer is so slow. May I remind you, God doesn't wait on us. We wait on God. We don't put God in a box. God can do whatever He wants whenever He wants. Our job is not to dictate how God does His work. Our job is to place ourselves in a posture of surrender and say, I'm here, whenever, wherever. And go about your daily life. You don't need to come to the church and take off two weeks from work and just stay here and wait on God. If you read Acts chapter 1, you'll see that, you know, because Judas Iscariot had committed suicide, they elected another disciple. They, they, they held a church annual meeting. Before Pentecost. They just went about their daily life. But their heart was waiting on God to receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. So, here's my question. Have you ever experienced your own personal Pentecost? Do you know what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? If you haven't, Today's your day to ask, to surrender, and to just wait. Don't, don't, you, you, listen, you don't have to have the same exact experience that was like wild and crazy from Acts chapter 2. Okay, maybe you do, maybe you don't. God's unique work in your life and the gifting of the temperament that God has given you, don't put God in a box of it has to feel this way and it has to be this way. Your job is simply to ask, release, and wait but God longs to fill you with His Holy Spirit. This could be, for some of you, the single greatest defining moment of your life. Maybe some of you have had that experience in the past, 
but you're up for another one. All throughout the book of Acts, you will see the apostles being filled with the Spirit again. I think the church is right for a 21st century Pentecost. Do you? So the worship team is going to come up. They're going to have a closing song. While they're coming up, if you want to get up and come to the altar and pick up this simple prayer and go back to your seats, that's kind of an indicator that says, God, I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Dear God, I know I have Jesus in my life, but I realize that you want to do a deeper work inside of me. I need the Holy Spirit's power to share Jesus with others, overcome sin, endure difficulties with grace, and live a life of love. I ask you to cleanse my heart from impure motives and desires. Break my sinful tendencies inside of me. I'm asking you to fill me with your Spirit. I offer myself completely to you. Because I trust you, I will wait on you. Fill me any time you desire. If that is your prayer today, I want you to come up and just simply get this prayer. If you want to stay at the altar for a while, that's fine. You can do whatever you want. But take this prayer and make this your prayer this week. Anytime, anywhere, God, do something inside of me. Come. Father, for meeting with us here this morning. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Go and share with someone else about Jesus Christ. Amen.